This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Stackers, before we hit play on today's episode, I come bearing good news. Our live YouTube virtual event, The Stack, is coming back, and it's just a week away, nine days to be exact, uh, March 3rd, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, Mountain and Central. You're going to have to do your own math, but fantastic event. If you've never been to one of these, I have to say, the chat room with The Stacker Nation is absolutely fantastic. And the show, this will be our third one, gets better every time. We're not going to tell you who the guests are. We will tell you that they are bringing it. And we're not above bribing you to sign up early so that we know how many people are coming. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stack to tell us you're coming. And here's how we will bribe you. We're going to give you some tips and some tools that are number one, both hints on who our guests are, but at the same time are fantastic fantastic tools for you to use. Gertrude, mom's good friend, puts a lot of work into those. I put a lot of work into those. We have uh, already sent out, by the time you heard have heard this, we've already sent out one and we are going to be sending out another one in the next couple of days. So get on it, stackybenjamins.com forward slash stack. Hope you can join us. Let's see if we can get a thousand stackers for our YouTube live show. That's Wednesday March 3rd, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stack. All right, Steve, man, we got a good show today. Let's roll it. He got me invested in some kind of fruit company. And so then I got a call from him saying, we don't have to worry about money no more. And I said, that's good. One less thing. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how would you approach life after you've made it? Today, we'll chat about coping with wealth with the author of a new memoir on the topic, Jennifer Risher. Plus, looking to do your own taxes? In our headline segment, we'll share all of the best options with Hannah Rounds from The College Investor. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Taylor, who has a shocking question about moving money away from Robin Hood. Why would somebody want to do that? 
How can he slip away without selling shares and paying taxes? And of course, I'll share some tech stock related trivia. And now, two guys will be worrying about their money situation for a long, long time. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. You kidding me? All the big podcasting money? We are rolling into today, man. Someday we'll have a Benjamin OG. Someday. Uh, you must not have been saving up your quarters because... Low these past 1,002 Stacking Benjamin episodes, I have been saving my quarters. I got this note from our friend Dave in Tennessee saying that if podcasting money is going to make the difference, you are screwed anyway. So oh. there you, there you well, go. Well, between that and my Amex points. <laughs> hey, everybody. Cha-ching. Welcome to Credit Card Rewards for the win. I'm Joe Saul C. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Across the card table from me, that voice you hear, I called him OG once. We're going to call him OG again right here because that's his name. How are you, man? Just another beautiful Monday. It's fantastic. This side of the, you know, when you wake up and you're six feet above ground, by God almighty, it's a good day. I'm just happy that white stuff is finally gone. This is Texas. Come on. Oh, you're talking about snow. Yes. I thought you... Me and Doug did have a little weekender <laughs> bender, little, so... A little craziness going on. Different white stuff. We got a great show today. Jennifer Risher uh, wrote a memoir. She's not somebody with the answers, OG. She's not a product expert or somebody who's going to tell you exactly what you should do. But she has this wonderful, wonderful, horrible conundrum, which is that at an early age, she was uh, blessed with some good things that happened in her life that made her okay with money early on and then very, very, very wealthy. And she'll tell that story. And it's funny because the initial snarky thing to say is, oh, wish I had that problem. Must be nice. But as you know, once you get to the point that you have, quote, made it, that's when a lot of different issues start. What type of legacy are you going to leave? How are you going to be responsible with your money? How are you going to teach your kids to be responsible with money and so many, so many other questions. We'll talk to her in just a few minutes. We got a couple great headlines though, but first, Jennifer Risher coming up next, but let's get to our headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Investment News. You see a couple of weeks ago, OG, Fidelity had a Reddit AMA. A Reddit ask me anything. Guess what happened? Uh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> lots and lots of people showed up and they wanted to talk about Robinhood. This is written by Nicole Casperson at Investment News. Fidelity host a Reddit ask me anything, but Robinhood steals the show. Nicole writes, Fidelity Investments hosted an hour-long Reddit discussion recently to engage with customers and answer live questions regarding retail trading. Fidelity had the intent that uh, prominent figures like Bill Gates have had, where they will have discussions to directly engage with consumers. Their intent was to answer as many questions as possible. They posted a photo of their host, Greg Murphy, Fidelity Investments Senior Vice President of Brokerage Products, and more than 1,300 comments from Reddit users flooded the discussion, and most of it was a comparison of Fidelity's mobile app being compared to Robinhood's. And this, this, I think, is maybe is the big wake-up call 
for the major brokerages, OG. After all the bad stuff Robinhood has done, I think the thing that Robinhood really brought to the table is making your interface easy to use, comfortable with bright colors, rounded edges, noises that make you enjoy the process. I think there's a lot to be said there. In fact, one one Reddit user in the discussion said, it's like the Robinhood app was developed by the guys who made Snapchat and the Fidelity app was developed by the guys who made Pac-Man. And I, th- <laughs> I think that, I think that says it all. I use TD Ameritrade and I got to tell you, a lot of time it's a pain in the ass, just finding the stupid, easy stuff that I want to find. Yeah. Well, I think the Robinhood side of it went the other way too far, right? They made it too much of a game, too much of a casino app too much like DraftKings and going to the casino or whatever uh there's probably a happy middle ground and 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 the people who can take advantage of that or or the product folks whether it's fidelity or td or swap or whatever if they were to actually say okay let's take all the good stuff out of this and apply this to our our process but keep all of our back-end support and our normal behind the scenes uh bellwether type stuff that's good um, that would be pretty unstoppable i think there is completely a middle ground man i'm hoping that we see these big brokerages make it uh make it easier the one the one piece that i don't like to your point on robin hood is i don't like how easy they made it for people to immediately jump into options i think maybe there needs to be a little bit bigger speed bump there and also to your point bam we're on it today Toning down the casino noises, yeah. probably a good idea. Well, every every brokerage company is pretty easy to get into options. It's not, you know, just got to check a box and fill out some forms. Um, I think what Robinhood does, not a user of Robinhood, but I think they just default you to it as opposed to like affirmatively, you know, it's the difference between negative consent and actually applying for it versus versus they- <laughs> you're getting this even if you didn't ask for it. There is a one question box that Robinhood has. Just one one question. You want to use it? It's like, dude, you sure? Okay. <laughs> well, would you like to lose all of your money right now or would you like it to take a week? Uh I guess I'll just lose it all right now. You're approved for level two options trading. Congratulations with your naked calls. I think this just isn't about brokerage apps, though. I think what we're seeing in fintech. Some of these apps that we talk about on our FinTech Friday OG make it so much more fun and easy to do the things that you enjoy. And I think the fact that most of these little companies don't have the marketing budget to be exposed to the average person. Yet I remember, you know, opening up my Ally account and looking at the bucket system they have there and how fun that is. Cheryl, who, you know, enjoys this, but not like you and I do. Cheryl was all about it. She's like, this, this bucket thing's really neat. And just the whole interface and the colors and you could name, you could name the buckets, whatever the hell you want to name them. Right. Just, uh, just super fun. It made putting your money in different places where you're going to blow it fun. Yeah. Well, it just, it was designed by designers versus by bankers. Yeah. And that's yeah. the big difference. You know, companies that have, have user experience engineers who are literally there to say, okay, what is the end user going to use out of this? It's, it's, I use a business bank. I won't be using them for very long, but their app doesn't work with the latest version of, of iOS. And you go, oh, well, that happens, right? You know, there's like some update delays or something. I don't mean like the latest, you know, I mean like it doesn't work based on like the 2000 
15 version. Oh, Lord. You know how, like sometimes you log in and you can tell the app hasn't been updated. Like it, yeah. it, it works for like an iPhone 3, but it's not, it's not been formatted or whatever for like the, the new ones. You're like, seriously, this is what we get. This, this is where all my money for the business is. Okay. I guess, I guess it must be all the interest they're paying. That's why they can't must update the app. Yes. They're, they're paying it all out to give you the 0.05 instead of 0.04. Yeah. You know, it's bad when you're firing up DOS to get to your, <laughs> you put in your AOL CD-ROM. So that you can <laughs> to get, get your, your 25 hours of free internet to download. Your get to bank your banking statement. app. <laughs> You've got interest. Hey, speaking of interest, if you want to make the big money in your portfolio, it's Monday, OG, which means we're talking big money in TikTok because that's where I go for all my financial advice. We found another fantastic TikToker giving some great advice. And this one you better cash in on soon because this guy's talking about uh, about big commerce uh, tomorrow. Listen to this. I'm here to predict the future again, you guys. Big commerce is going to skyrocket on Tuesday. Because this stock always goes up and down, and it went down like 20% on Friday. So on Tuesday, it's probably going to go up. So buy some calls if you want to make some money. There it is. You you heard it. He's going to predict the future again, which <laughs> intimates that he has actually done it before. So here's the thing. The stock, different than others, goes up and down. Yeah, and since it went down before. Of course. Therefore, the next one goes up. Right, because when you say up and down, that's followed by up and then down. So if you just had a down, you got to have an up. I and mean, the only way to make money on this is to buy calls. It's exactly it. Spring into options. It's exactly what you do. If you've got a TikTok video you'd like us to comment on that is as beautiful as that one and as untrustworthy as that one, please don't go act on any of that. StackingBenjamins.com. Uh, Joe at StackingBenjamins.com. Send me an email. And in our second headline, it's that time of year. We're all busy working on our taxes. And this time of year, of course, we always get the question, where do I turn if I have decided that I'm going to use tax software? So our friend who covers this for the college investor, Hannah Rounds, joins us. How are you? Hey, I'm doing super well. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you're back. And everybody loved when we talked about this last year. I feel like it's we see Hannah once a year. We, uh, you know, generally have it around tax day. We should actually meet other times a year, but oh, well, COVID, right? I'm a one trick pony. So <laughs> always here for the tax software talk. Just though. the taxes. That's, that's the kind of nerd Hannah is right there. You looked at all different uh, tax software and I thought Hannah this year versus what we've uh, done in the past where we walked through a bunch of different ones and whether they were good or not. Let's, let's focus instead, like you guys did at the collegeinvestor.com. Let's focus on a few specific types of filers. But before we get to that, what's the trend this year, Hannah, that you're seeing with tax filers? You know, the big thing this year is dump off the files and have a tax pro do it. I think everyone's getting more and more comfortable with the Zoom calls and with just virtual world in general. So the major players, TurboTax, H&R Block, as well as a bunch of startups like Visor and Picnic and just a, a whole number of them are saying, give us your files. 
We'll prepare your tax return for you. I can see, and, I can see, by the way, Hannah, H&R Block doing that because, of course, legacy-wise, that's what they're good at, right? I mean, th- they started with in-person, but I think that largely the last several years, it's been, you don't need Jackson Hewitt. You should just do it online yourself. You're saying the streams now go in the opposite way? You know, what's old is always new. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely seeing a lot more of that. And then we also have these hybrid plays, you know. You file yourself, but you get help from a, a virtual assistant, a tax pro, whether they're an enrolled agent or a CPA. That's a big trend this year. And I think it's really driven by the fact that people are less comfortable going out in person and people are more comfortable doing things online. Do you think these new players then are going to be good at it? Should we look at that as an option? Or if we're going to do them in person, should we stick with an H&R Block, Jackson Hewitt, some face-to-face person? I was really impressed by the caliber of CPAs that you would get through some of these startups. I'm not scared of it. The one thing that I would be a little frightened about is if you're pushing closer and closer to that April 15th deadline, you need to be careful that the person that you're filing with actually has the capacity to file them on time. And that's especially important if you think you're going to owe money. Because you don't want to have those starting to rack up interest and things like that. One more question I wanted to ask before we get to our list for some of the most common filers. Uh, Filing free. In the past, there have been all kinds of... reports that these companies make it have made it really hard, right? Very hard for you to figure out how to use the free option. If somebody listening is eligible for the free option, tell me, Hannah, that these companies have become less deceptive than in the past. I feel like they are doing a good job of telling you what free means if you go through their kind of onboarding quiz. Do I have an HSA? Do I have children? Did I donate to charity? Things like that. If you fill out that, they'll recommend the software package that you should buy. So that's great. I I highly recommend going through that onboarding process. But I will say, if you're not paying attention to that, you will get duped and you're going to be out 120 bucks at the end. And it's so frustrating to me to see that. I, I wish that never happened, but you'll get duped. It drives me, drives me crazy. Well, let's dive into some of these. Uh, the first topic I thought we'd go at is uh, maximizing credits and deductions. So for people who are looking at, maybe I have some credits, I have some deductions, I'm not sure. Which, uh, which software do you think was best? This year, I'm all about Credit Karma Tax. This is the second year in a row that I've been pretty bullish on them. Their first year out of the gate, they had really bad customer service and things got delayed, but Things have been smooth sailing. It's a great user interface and it's free federal, free state, no matter how complicated your tax situation is. So huge fan of Credit Karma Tax for that. And just as an FYI, you might think, oh, I don't have credits. I don't have deductions. But if you donated at least $300 to charity this year, you have a deduction. If you have student loan interest, you have a deduction. If you are a lower income earner and you contributed to your IRA, you have a credit. And so it's just so important to not assume that you don't have these things. You probably qualify for something. So credit karma tax. For people that have a side business, that's a big part of the stacker community. Who's best for that? 
I'm all about Tax Flayer Classic this year. So the Classic is their first paid tier, but it gives you access to all the forms. Tax Flayer is an unbelievably great software. We always talk about these big players like TurboTax and H&R Block as just having outstanding user interface. Tax Flayer is right there. I love, love, love the user interface, and I love, love, love the price. It's not free. You know you'll pay for it but it's much lower priced than kind of those big competitors. Yeah, tax, They've got great deduction calculators too. TextLayer is one we don't hear much about. Is there another one that we don't hear much about that you really like? Yeah, I love TaxHawk. TaxHawk is a great, easy to use one. It's $12.99 for state filing, or you can upgrade to, they call it pro support. So you can get advice from an enrolled agent or a CPA, and that's uh, $24.99. Super cheap. Love, love, love that one as well. Better for experienced filers just because it doesn't have quite that beautiful interface that TaxSlayer, TurboTax, H&R Block have, but love it. That was my next question was value for experienced filers. You think that's the best one overall? I 100% would go with TaxHawk for experienced okay. filers. Now, and we get a very specific question. It's a subset of people that own their own business. A lot of people are landlords. I was a landlord until this last year. I've never been happier to not be a landlord, but the, the uh, just wasn't for me. I get it. I know it's for a lot of our listeners. Uh, what's best if you own a rental house or seven? So the key with rental property is you're going to need to be taking depreciation and tracking that sort of thing on the house. And so that involves calculators. Anytime you think calculator, you think, hmm, I need a great software to do this for me, to make it easy so that I don't have to make decisions and figure things out. I love H&R Block Premium for that. It's so easy to use, whether you have one, whether you have a dozen. I think once you're getting over about a dozen rental properties, you might want to consider hiring an accountant to be on your team. So I'm just going to put that out there. But yeah, if you've got, you know, a handful of rental properties, H&R Block Premium, really good. Hannah, anything surprise you guys this year? You know, I've been doing this since I think 2014. I am just so surprised by how good some of these little guys are. Just Tax Hawk, Tax Slayer, they are so good compared to where everyone was a couple of years ago. So I really would urge you to look at the price point you're paying and say, is it worth it? You might be surprised to find a low cost alternative that is every bit as good as what you've been using the last couple of years. I know that people are going to want more. We will link to this piece if you want to see the whole thing for not just what Hannah and I talked about for, but for cryptocurrency traders, stock market investors, best virtual tax prep, best for people seeking a tax refund anticipation loan. I mean, you've got every little niche and we'll have the link at stackybenjamins.com. Okay, last question, Hannah Rounds, and this is the big one. Why the hell did you let Robert put his name at the end of this? Because we all know who the genius is here. And it says Robert Farrington on the end of this. You know, I think he wrote this article the first time around 2012. And uh, it's never updated the author since. But, you know, the real genius is here. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. 
State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Big thanks to Hannah for stopping by. Lots of software out there, OG. More and more competitors in the software business, I feel like. I just saw something the other day that said 70% of people who are eligible to file for free only 20% of the 70% actually do it. Wow. But but a little Ouch. bit of that is the complication of it, right? Sure. And and how nerve-wracking it is. I mean, like, if you screw up your electric bill, like, what happens? They send you a couple of reminders. You go, oh, crap, I didn't pay enough. You know, if you miss, like, my wife's friend had a story about this on Facebook. They underpaid their taxes by 17 cents. So not only did she get a letter, but her husband got a letter and it wasn't sent regular mail. It was sent certified mail, return receipt requested, where you had to actually go to the post office and sign for it to get your letter from the IRS that says, you screwed us out of 17 cents. And if you don't make good on this, we are coming after you. You know, so I think that kind of stuff unnecessarily causes people to pay for stuff they don't need to. Yeah, I think that is a good lesson. Uh, number one is uh, free doesn't always mean better. Maybe getting good advice in that realm. But I think there's a ton of those people, though, OG, that totally could do it for free. And uh, some of these software programs, robust enough that they can make it super easy for you. I think our second takeaway is for app developers at big, big banks and uh, big brokerages. Let's make things a little less Pac-Man-y, shall we? And, uh, of course, the huge takeaway from our headlines, uh, go buy Big Commerce because it's going up tomorrow. Or not. Maybe not, but maybe. Jennifer Risher has a fantastic story. And uh, you know what, OG? In a weird turn, I'm not going to tell you a lot about her. Usually we have a usually we have an amazing bio about people, but Jennifer's going to tell you her bio and about some of the the, uh, struggles that she's had in her family. She's written an incredible memoir about it. So let's get to know her. Jennifer Risher talking about struggling and coping with wealth. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my new friend, Jen Risher. How are you? I'm doing well. Nice to see you. Well, it's great to see you too. I'm so happy you could join us. This must have been difficult, Jen, writing a book about money and conversations about money. What made you want to tell your story? Well, for that very reason, it is difficult to talk about money and it's difficult to write about it without sounding offensive or off-putting. So it took a long time to, to write this story. And the reason I wanted to write it is I got very lucky When I was 25, I joined Microsoft. I met my husband 
And I got stock that ended up being worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, six years later, when my husband and I were married and expecting our first child, he took a job at a small unknown startup that was selling books on the internet called amazon.com. <laughs> Never heard of it. Yeah. Well, well, we had barely heard of it ourselves at the time and we were in our early thirties. It went public and suddenly we had more money than I could wrap my head around. Of course, money makes life easier. I'm very fortunate, but wealth surprised me. Having a lot of money doesn't look or feel like what Hollywood sells us. I found it isolating. It had an impact on me as a parent, as a sister, as a friend, as a daughter, it was painful to feel my parents disapproved of what I had. Eight out of 10 people with wealth grew up middle class or poor. Can we dive into some of your stories from early on when before you had money? Tell me about your upbringing, about your relationship with your parents and your relationship with money, because it seems to me that that was fairly typical. Yeah, I know we all have a money story and that money story does start in our childhood and it's kind of where we learn our attitudes and the habits around money. And for me, um, you know, I grew up saving my pennies, kind of wary of the rich with kind of middle class values. My mom saved her tea bag for a second and third cup of tea. And my dad, I remember, you know, when he sat at his desk, you know, with clouds of cigarette smoke around him, I knew to tiptoe past because finances made him grumpy. And yeah, we didn't talk about money. When I remember when I asked my dad, you know, how much he made, that was none of my business. And it, in fact, it was sort of unladylike to, to talk about money. So I didn't grow up with a lot of conversation around money. And I don't think that served me that well when suddenly I had a lot of it. So how did you start at uh, Microsoft? Well, I didn't necessarily want to work at Microsoft. I had finally broken into advertising. I had always wanted to be an ad in advertising. I was a account coordinator kind of on the first rung of that career ladder. And my best friend gave me a call and she had just started at this company called Microsoft. And she let me know about a position that was open in her department in recruiting. And I thought, well, I don't want to work in recruiting. I, I, I'm just learning about advertising. But I kind of took a risk and just thought, well, I might as well interview. I went through the interview process and that kind of convinced me that it's a pretty cool place to work. A lot of young, ambitious, smart people doing kind of creative things. So I joined as a recruiter and actually that job turned out to being a very fun job and, and Microsoft was actually a really wonderful place to work. As part of your job as a recruiter, I know you went to Bill Gates' house. You said in your book, you were surprised. Tell me that story. Yeah. So Bill Gates, he was big in the company. Everyone knew Bill Gates and we had Bill Gates meetings and he was this huge force and a huge driver of the company culture. And in recruiting, you know, we were bringing in interns for the summer and we were hiring people out of college. We were the campus recruiters are so hiring people right out of business school and undergraduate. And at the end of the summer, we would hold parties at Bill's house for the interns and, the, and the man, their managers were invited and the recruiting department came um, sort of the closing of the year. And I remember when I was you know, new as a recruiter, I was so excited to see Bill's house and go to Bill's house. He was practically a billionaire at the time. So I, in my mind, had this image of like what that was like to be a billionaire and what his house might be like. And it didn't match my my expectations. It kind of didn't stand out from any house, other house on the street. And 
he wasn't into the interior design. He had the, you know, we went into his basement and it was like a stuck in the seventies, a bachelor pad with a, with a pool table. And, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but looking back, that's when I started to realize that our image of wealth is very narrow and incomplete. We see the glamour and the, and the glitz on TV and in movies, but the reality is a lot more ordinary and more diverse than many people see or believe. Leave. Yeah, you were disappointed. I was disappointed. I wanted to see a bunch of cool artwork yeah, and right. fancy stuff. And yeah, it was a disappointment. Was that your first time that you found yourself around someone who would be, I guess you would, I don't know the phrase, uber wealthy, who, who you would think in your head was uber wealthy? Was that your first time being at someone like that's house? Someone with that much fame, at least in yeah. the company and, yeah, yeah. and kind of, yeah. So it really, really didn't match what I had hoped it to, to be part of and to see. But it seems like over the next several years, the Microsoft campus became more and more full of people who were wealthy, right? Because I remember when I was a financial planner, we would help some Microsoft people in the Metro Detroit area with their money. And I remember the head of our group of planners telling me that on the comment card, our little comment card, there was a line where you would have people answer how many years they've been with Microsoft. And I don't remember the number, Jen, but if they had been there for X number of years, I knew they were a millionaire and probably a multimillionaire, right? If it was X year or before, they were they were definitely. If it was after that, they, they were doing just fine, but weren't those, those people. So you you I would have to guess all of a sudden or over the course of the next few years had very wealthy people all around you. Yeah, and they were just like me, the same as they always had been, and suddenly they had a lot more money. And I think that's, you know, like I said before, you know, eight out of 10 people with wealth grew up middle class or poor. So they are just like you only suddenly they have this thing has happened to them. And I think for many of us, when we were all pretty young and the average age when I was there was around 30. And so, yeah, we saw our money, we saw it on paper and we saw the numbers creeping up and going up. And suddenly we, we knew we had all this money, but we were still working hard. This still what mattered is kind of creating cutting edge software and being part of this amazing company and working nonstop and, you know, there were some people who were starting to spend, but most of us were just doing our jobs kind of heads down. And part of the company culture was was not to flash big bucks. I mean, it really was, you know, your personal finances were one thing. The real mission in front of us was to put a desktop or a computer on every desktop. But that makes me wonder, though, I mean, if you start having money, why not spend part of it? Did you feel at all? Well, actually, even before I ask you that question, there is a great story in the book, a painful story in the There's so many painful stories in, in the book. But but you started on the same day as a guy named Steven. You're all excited because you see that your stock options are worth now, uh, I believe, north of $300,000. And you absolutely can't believe it. So you go in, I think, kind of to have a high five with Steven. And Steven says, I'm very uncomfortable with this. And he closes the door. If you don't mind... Tell me the rest of that story, because it, it got awkward in a hurry. It did. You know, well, the company culture really was we were not supposed to talk about our salaries. We're not going to supposed to talk about money. So start there. And, you know, when I realized suddenly how much my stock was worth since we had started the same day, we were kind of doing the same job. And we were we had kind of been partners in, in kind of learning and, and growing in the job. Yeah, I wanted to share that with him. And, and you're right. Slap that high five and look at how this amazing this is. 
first of all, the fact that I was talking about money was a little bit off-putting to him. And then I felt a little bad about that. But then he shared with me that actually his stock options were worth a lot more. He had more than a half a million because he had gone through as he had accepted his offer earlier than me. He had gone through a stock split. So his options were worth more. And of course, then I felt like, well, that suddenly my $300,000 wasn't as much. How quickly that can change. And I'm not proud to admit getting upset by that. I mean, he had more than I did. I went to my boss. I kind of brought this up to her. I think, you know, looking back, especially it was like, you know, I didn't know, I didn't even know what I had stumbled upon and how fortunate I was. And already I was kind of looking around at other people and thinking he has more than me. It's maybe it's very human. It still feels quote unfair, but I think a lot of what happened at Microsoft then was unfair. I mean, what was, where's the fairness in some 20 something kid making millions of dollars? I mean, that was, that's just crazy. It's, it's not fair. It, it, you can you can feel it in your writing that your emotional reaction to that really surprised you. And still, I think, to some degree, surprises you, I think. It did surprise me because look at what I had. How, how could I so quickly kind of look for more? Right. <laughs> I don't like that in myself, but I, I do realize that it's, it's human. And at some point, you know, you can always chase after more. There's always going to be more. And if you spend your whole life doing that to yourself... Uh, you're not going to end up being very happy. As you and your husband's wealth was growing, did you feel that that same feeling come back time and again? Would you find yourself comparing yourself to other people then as your wealth grew? It happens. Yes, definitely. But at, at one point, I really just made a conscious decision. Of course, I think you need to feel a sense of enough from within and realize that for yourself. I constantly test myself around that. And I have to remind myself just kind of in mindset of, you know, you have more than enough. You're very fortunate. And whenever I feel my gut sort of churning or worry started happening or jealousy happen, it's like, no, you know, come on, get over yourself. Remind And just to remind myself at how fortunate I really am. When you had your daughter, you made the decision to stop working and to be a mom. That also brought along a bunch of emotions. I, I think it didn't seem to me, Jen, that you expected exactly the emotions you had once you left Microsoft. No, that really surprised me as well. I didn't realize how tied up my identity was so tied up in my work and my sense of purpose. And, and, you know, I realized how much you get out of work. It's not just a paycheck. It really, it gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you goals. It gives you a community. It gives structure to your day. You get up, you go to work. It had become kind of how I defined myself. So suddenly when I didn't have that, who was I? So that was one struggle I was going through. Of course, I, I had become a mother and that was incredible. And I had entered, it was like this curtain opened on my world and I was a mom and I was actually started in this mother's group where we were all going through this amazing process together, like the amazing joy and how are we going to get our babies to sleep through the night and are we going to use a pacifier? Are we going to breastfeed? All these questions we were sharing with each other. And at the same time, this other curtain had lifted. David had started at Amazon and I had all this wealth. And in that space, it was really silent. It was really a tough space for me to be in because I didn't identify with someone who had wealth. I was, you know, I had kind of grown up wary of those people. I, I didn't know. And I didn't want anyone to know. I think a lot of people think, oh, the rich worry about people liking them for their money. But I wasn't worried about being liked for what we had. I was worried about being hated for it. 
And I didn't want anyone to know. You found that, by the way, and I know I'm really skipping around, but I, I even thought about you doing this interview and how tough it is. I went and I was looking at uh, things that people had written, and there was some random comment that I read, somebody saying, oh, something like, cry me a river until you've missed a car payment. You don't know what it's like. I feel so bad for you. And it's exactly that reaction that you're talking about right now that I think people really fear that they just, they don't understand that this too is a very difficult thing to talk about. It's difficult to talk about. I mean, no one, it's very hard to think of wealth as a challenge that needs to be overcome. And I'm not saying that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm just trying to point out a, a scenario that I had never expected. And certainly, I mean, this is not a world I want to be living in. I, the disparity is problematic. I think when anyone's in pain, we're all in pain, we're interconnected. And, you know, at a policy level, I should pay more taxes. Minimum wage needs to be higher. Um, we need a stronger social safety net. You know, policy change is needed in our country. But I think change is needed at a personal level, too. And I'm hoping to move money out of the taboo category and out of the shame category and get us talking to each other. Because ultimately, we are all the same in many ways. We have the same needs, the same things make us happy. It really comes down to quality relationships in our lives and connections with other people. And wealth can get in the way of that. Back to your relationship with your career, leaving, do you regret that at all? I felt very fortunate to be able to to spend time with my daughter and to be home as a mom and experience her growing. And I mean, I thought I had not grown up wanting to be a mom and being a mom was just so amazing and wonderful. And I'm just thrilled to have two beautiful daughters. I made the right decision for myself. Do I regret? Did I miss out? I felt a little bit I missed out. I mean, what would it have looked like if I had pursued a career? I, I think women are in a it, tricky situation because it's very hard to do both. And, and a lot of it falls on women, as we're seeing now in the time of COVID, as one in five women is leaving the workforce because not only do they have the kids and their career and their housework, I mean, it's a lot. So I wish I could have had it all, but I what I had was pretty, pretty good. How are your discussions between you and David as zeros continually were added to your net worth? You know, it doesn't really matter, those zeros. I mean, of course, it's wonderful, but I think, you know, it's not about the money. Life is really not about the money. And I think we're very fortunate to have that as a tool that we have, you know, as we move through life. But I think when you think about what's important in your life, it's it's relationships, it's it's finding that purpose, it's finding out how you can live a good life and, and what that means to you. And, you know, for my husband, it, it, he took his love from books and technology and he started a nonprofit that has been around now for over 10 years. It's helping kids in the developing world have access to books through digital um, reading program called World Reader. He's bringing it to the United States right now because there's an education crisis here. So he's devoted his time to something he's passionate about. And yes, money makes life easier. So that has allowed him to do that. And I got a chance to really work through this this thing that happened to me, this wealth that happened to me by writing and spent a lot of time writing. And now my my goal really is to help us all get more clear about our relationship with money. You know, it might sound far reaching, but I hope to help in the 
income inequality by talking about money because our silence has a lot of power. Our silence just keeps the status quo in place and it keeps us from examining our emotional relationship with money. It allows us to stay in our bubble, sort of unaware and not holding ourselves accountable. And I think we need to start with the people who are closest to us, talking with our parents and our siblings and our friends, having those uncomfortable money conversations to put money in its place as a tool, not as something bigger than us. You had to grapple with uh, some of those questions from a very uncomfortable point, and that was uh, uh, family members once they knew that you had money. I don't know. Did they begin coming to you for money first or did you start giving them some money? But that, that seems to be that that got awkward in a hurry. It felt very awkward because there was so much silence around it. Suddenly we had all this money and my parents never said anything. It was as if it hadn't happened. And I felt bad that that, that was sitting. It was like the elephant in the room for many, many years. Do you think, and, do you think that that was your job then to bring it up, Jen, or was it their job? Like what, where do you think the failure was? Yeah, of course it's the daughter. I thought it was my parents' job. <laughs> They're the ones that are right. So I had a little resentment around that and felt it was painful because, you know, I was telling myself stories of what was going on and it felt like they disapproved of what I had. They were looking down at our wealth because that's the message I got growing up. You know, those people, wealthy people are this way or that way. And then I had become one of them. And so it kind of silenced me. And I also think that status quo I, I just talked about is it, within our family, the status quo was don't talk about money and that my dad was in charge and my dad was the financial expert. So if I was suddenly had more than he did, that was a painful and difficult road to navigate. So I kind of avoided it. And I avoided it maybe too long. I wish we had kind of, I had been, had the courage uh, to be vulnerable and, and have that conversation earlier than I did. How did that conversation finally happen? You know, it was my husband's mother was talking about her worry about her own financial situation, which got my husband and I talking about how we could support her. And when we started to support her financially, I felt like, well, I want to do the same for my parents. You know, and I want to preface this by saying that none of my family was in need. I mean, there was no mean that we had to give them money right away. So when my husband started to give to his mom, I wanted to give to my parents. And the first conversation was with my dad. He was the financial guy. So I talked to him and I told him that we wanted to give him $20,000. I was really scared to have that conversation. I didn't know how he'd react. I almost thought he would like yell at me. And he didn't yell at you, he, yell at you like how, like, <laughs> like, don't you dare offer me money. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous. No, I it actually, it no, now. it actually doesn't because you know, people have a certain pride, right? He may take it that you, you see him, that you're looking down on him or like he needs this money and he wants to prove to his daughter that he doesn't need it. So no, it doesn't. I, I could totally see that. Thank you. Yeah. I get, it's complicated because you know, money is very emotional. And I, you know, the more I talk about money, I realize it's the emotions behind the money that we avoid talking about. And, and these emotions are universal. I mean, it doesn't really matter how many zeros you have at the end of your net worth. It's fears. We're afraid of hurting people's feelings and we're afraid of not measuring up. We're afraid of re being rejected. And maybe that's what I was afraid of with my dad, that I would be rejected as the daughter. I was supposed to kind of stay quiet about money. He was supposed to be the expert. I'm happy to say that when we gave him that gift, he was 
thankful. And it was a, a nice start, actually, to a conversation that I then had with my mom. And um, we started to talk a little bit more about what was going on in my life. That's pretty powerful. Powerful equally on a different area. You write about a family member you also gave $20,000 to. And they said, I think at first they turned it down. You can tell me the real story, but I think it was, they turned it down at first, then they accepted it. And then you sent them more money. And over time they quit acknowledging that you were sending them money. And then until one time you didn't send them money and they brought up, Hey, where's my check? Yeah, that's with my brother. So yeah, my brother's two years younger. And you know, when we first offered him money, he was trying to buy a house and we thought we'd give him money for the down payment. And he refused our gift because he said, I want to live within my own means. And at that moment, actually, that refusal hurt my feelings because I thought he was looking down at our money and my feelings were hurt. But, you know, I didn't say anything. And then um, when he was getting married, we again sent a check. It was for a wedding gift and he accepted it this time. And then when his first child was born, uh, we again sent a check and he and his wife thanked us. And like you said, then we started to give a check every year. Over time, he stopped acknowledging our gifts and I began to feel resentful. I felt like he was taking us for granted and I still didn't say anything. I Instead, I made up stories in my mind about what was going on and I thought, well, he's embarrassed or, oh, he thinks we have so much money that the gift means nothing to us. And then, like you said, I'm not proud to admit this either, that I just didn't send a check one year. And um, as we were communicating over email, at the end of his message, he said, you know, wondering if a certain year end check is just late in the mail. I was angry. I was shocked. Here I was writing a book about talking about money. And I, of course, knew we had to talk. But, you know, we are not we don't have any model for how to talk about money. And it's very uncomfortable. And even at the time for me, I felt so uncomfortable about this. And I really had to sit down and think about what I wanted to say and hope what I hope to achieve. And, you know, when we got on the phone, I said, my feelings are hurt that you haven't acknowledged our gifts. How did and he, he apologized right away. Like he he said, you know, I didn't he didn't realize and that he thought it was easier for me if he didn't make a big deal of the money, which made complete sense to me, given how we grew up. And then, you know, we were when we were connected as two people who love and trust each other and having a conversation, then we really could put money in its place. It wasn't bigger than us. It was this tool we had. And he then we could talk about it. He said, you know, I, I don't need this money, but I really appreciate it. It's so nice. And I'd never asked him, but I said, you know, what are you doing with this money? I want to know. I want to be part of your life. These mores and these expectations that came from childhood that end up in this, uh, this phenomenal conversation that the two of you had, I felt like I was right there with you. I was angry too, by the way. I'm like, why the hell did he acknowledge it? What's, what's going on? Do you feel an expectation then when it comes to giving that because you have a certain amount of wealth now, Jen, that there's this um, expectation that you're going to go big, right? That you're going to be the big donor in the room. Yes and no. Yes, I think that's true. It reminds me of another story because I'm now in a very different space. You know, there's one thing about donors, but then there's still friends and their expectations. And um, actually, uh, with a couple of friends, we were going to go have a big birthday party. Four of us were going to spend the weekend in Carmel in April, I guess. And of course, that didn't happen because of COVID. 
And, you know, as, as cases were getting lower in the fall, I, I thought, well, maybe we can do that weekend in Carmel. And I texted these three friends and I said, hey, maybe we should do a weekend in Carmel. And one of the women texted me back and said, wow, that's so generous, Jen. Thank you so much. And another <laughs> friend texted me. It's like, well, I didn't think you were going to buy, you know, you were going to be paying. And, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been mortified by that. I would have been just, I wouldn't have known what to do. And now I just feel like, gosh, I am so lucky. Yeah, I'm going to pay for the rooms. This is what I want to do. And I trust these women. They're, they're my friends. And I had a good laugh with my, one of the friends. And I said, don't tell her it's fine. I, I, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Um, but yeah, I think the expectation is out there and I feel like now I'm in a position that I can handle it. I, I can say no when I want to, and I can, I have the good fortune of being able to say yes a lot. Well, thanks for volunteering to take Cheryl and I on vacation then, Jen. I really appreciate it. <laughs> it's fantastic. I know what you were thinking there, that that's really what you wanted to do. That that's good. great. We, we get a question all the time uh, here on the show about kids and money, right? And, and you write about this also with your kids growing up differently than you did. How are you having the conversations with them around money? Yeah, this is a big question. And I think it's a question that everyone ask themselves and worries about no one wants to raise spoiled kids. And then there's when there's wealth, it adds a different layer. But at the end, I think really that there's this image out there in the world of the spoiled rich kid, and it gets us all really scared. I'm not sure that's a reality. I mean, of course, it's a reality. Spoiled kids happen at every level of society. It doesn't really matter how much money you have. But this idea of the spoiled rich kid, I think, is looming way too large in our psyche. I mean, it loomed large in mine for years. I worried about this. But I realized that, you know, it really comes down to living your values and living those values day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. Your kids are watching you. And they're seeing what you're doing. They see how you move through the world. I mean, even just thinking about going to the grocery store with your kids, you know, walking through the store. I mean, this is a teachable moment. You talk about how to make trade-offs, how to make choices, looking at prices. Um, you don't just buy, you know, anything you, you want or spend as much as you want. I mean, they learn kind of what you value by watching you. How do you interact with the guy at the meat counter? Are you courteous? Are you respectful? When you're checking out, the same thing. When you're sitting around the dinner table, um, where are your priorities? How do you talk about? What do you talk about that's happened in your day? What are you proud of? They're hearing all these things and they're witnessing your values. So I think it's really making sure that you're living your own values and that will keep your kids from becoming spoiled. If you're, unless you are spoiled yourself. So it depends. <laughs> you have to get really introspective first. Yeah. Well, and I think that that is the theme that resonates all the way through your book. I, it feels so... Uh, uh, I don't even know how to say this. Is it, is it contemplative or contemplative? I don't know. Either one. I understood what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That one. That's generally when I write stuff like that down, I'll change the sentence so I don't have to use that word. But I think that's the, that's the appropriate word. The book is called, we need to talk a memoir about wealth. It is a fantastic read and I'm assuming everybody can get it everywhere. Jen. You can get it everywhere. I like to have people support their local indie bookstores. Um, you could also get it on Amazon. And you can find out more on my website, which is jenniferrisher.com. And we will link to that on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Thank you for spending some time with us today and talking about talking about money. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for talking to me.
trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, a.k.a. the guy who makes T-Gigs 23 on iTunes cringe, and I couldn't help but nod my head while listening to Jennifer Risher. People are asking her for money left and right, and I am totally that same person here in the basement. It's a rare day when I'm not getting hit up for five bucks here or there by OG to satisfy his natty light fix or asked to make a grocery run on me by Joe's mom. I gotta say, it gets awkward. In fact, I'll share my awkwardest tale in a moment, but before I do, let's deliver today's trivia question. Many investors like a group of stocks called the FANG. But lately, some pros have suggested that FANG should now be MANG. The F that's been taken out of some portfolios is Facebook, and it was replaced with an M for Microsoft. One A is for Amazon, and the other is for Apple. So today's question is, what are the remaining companies N and G? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can invest in the next trillion-dollar hit tech company. Hey, stackers, I've got some good news. If you're an active-duty service member, veteran, DOD civilian, military family member, you can join Navy Federal. That means if you served in any branch of the military, it doesn't have to be just the Navy. It could be the Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard. You can join Navy Federal Credit Union. On average, Navy Federal members earn and save $361 more per year. You could pay no fees, get low rates and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Navy Federal puts members first by helping them save money, make money, enjoy peace of mind and security through personalized around-the-clock service. I love credit unions in general. I love Navy Federal because of their commitment to the people that they serve. It's so refreshing to see in the era of banks, and by the way, this part's all my opinion, that are beholden to shareholders instead of members, where with a credit union, your members are your shareholders. And in the case of Navy Federal, I love their slogan, our members are the mission. Now's a great time to join Navy Federal. If you have a large credit card balance after the holidays, you can let Navy Federal Credit Union help you rebalance your priorities. First, make a plan to do away with high interest credit card debt and transfer your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low intro APR and no balance transfer fees, you could pay less money in interest, less money going to, quote, the man, and you can work your plan. With a low intro APR, no balance transfer fee, as I mentioned, you can pick the right card to help you take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org, Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member giveback study, 5.99 to 18% variable APRs based on product type and creditworthiness, up to $1 cash advance transaction fee at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Well, you know, what I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools 
to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, stackers. So now that Jennifer Risher told her story, I'll tell you mine. There I was, pulling into this quickie gas and go here in Texarkana, top off the El Camino and grab myself a Snickers. Hey, even a Greek god like me deserves a little slice of heaven once in a while. I mean, I have cheat days too. So after I did my thing at pump number five and sauntered on over to the candy aisle, I'm thinking about maybe changing my mind and going for a Kit Kat or, you know, maybe a Three Musketeers. Heck, my last Three Musketeers bar, I forgot the glove box and I was able to eat it like 10 years later. That's some seriously good chocolate. You know, they're making it right if it lasts that long. Anyway, there I am pondering when some guy out of the blue says, hey man, I just need like 30 bucks. Yeah, like hell. If you've ever heard this show before, Stackers, you know that old Doug isn't going to be pushed around by nobody. So don't think for a moment that just because I'm the voice behind the award-winning Stacking Benjamins podcast, I'm a target to ask for money. You know, I put on my pants one leg at a time while sitting down and wiggling to get in them, just like everybody else. And I'm not going to just throw this big podcasting cash towards every charity case who crosses my path. I'm not doing it. So I reminded him that based on his uniform and the fact that he was standing behind a counter, he already had a job and he should learn to baby his Benjamins a little more if he needs 30 bucks. Maybe he should actually listen and take to heart the wise words I bring every Monday, Wednesday and Friday to this podcast. I don't think he realized that celebrities like me are just people too and not human ATM machines. I saw his name tag. It said Mike on it. I think Mike needs a little empathy for us wealthy people. Am I right, Jennifer Risher? Am I, I mean, when I'm right, I'm right. Speaking of ATM machines, five companies that have felt like ATM machines making lots of money for investors are the Mang Stocks, or maybe that's pronounced Mang Stocks. Anyway, while the M is for Microsoft and 1A is for Amazon and the other one's for Apple, we've already established that. What are the N and G companies? If you said Netflix and Google, you'd be right. For bonus points, if you actually owned any of these companies over the past decade, you are one rich and happy camper and way happier than Mike was after I gave him a piece of my mind. I may have laid it on a little heavy because the poor guy looks sad and confused. Chin up, man. You can someday stack Benjamins just like old Doug. I believe in you, Mike. See ya. Big thanks to Jennifer for telling her story. That's pretty brave, OG, because as she said so eloquently, people with money don't talk about their money because they're afraid you're going to hate them. I mean, you are just going to hate them. And I know there was people at the beginning of that interview that rolled their eyes going, oh, those are great problems to have. But when you go through all of these issues, I remember when I was a financial planner and somebody would come in to my office and they'd say, I don't think you can help me because I think I'm going to be okay. And I would look at their stuff and I would say, yeah, you're going to be okay. Based on everything you told me, you will be okay. And you've got huge problems. 
And then they'd lean forward and go like, what? I said, well, if, if, if your only goal in life is just to be okay, then you're good. Then go because you saved enough. But now it's about your legacy and the world around you and your community and teaching your kids like Jennifer and I talked about. And, uh, how do you, how do you leave a mark? And don't get me wrong. These are fantastic issues to have, but this is when wealth can really be meaningful, not just to you, but to the world around you. And this part where getting there, I think is fairly simple, right? Spend less than you make and save it. This next part, this legacy planning part can be very complicated. Well, it's a whole like component about fulfillment. You know, you just you finish a project, you have a momentary time where you're like, okay, that's great. But then you get bored again. That same thing is true in your financial life. If you haven't thought about like, what's the next thing? If all you're focused on is, hey, my financial planner or, you know, the internet or my calculator said I need $3 million and I can be financially independent. And I've got, I can't wait to get to 3 million. And you cross that threshold of 3 million and you haven't thought about like, what are you going to do on Tuesday? Because, I mean, besides buy big commerce, if you haven't, no, a little bit of tie back, stay with the show, folks, stay with it. It's all connected. Uh, you know, you're going to be, in a you're going to be at a world of hurt emotionally and, and, and you're likely to make bad decisions. I talk to people all the time about how you know, hey, great news from a financial planning standpoint, you're going to be financially independent at 52. And they're like, yes. And I go, but that's not the, that's the problem. Because at 52, your kid's going to be 14. So do you just get to like pack up and go like, it's crappy outside. I want to go to the Caymans for a week. No, because your kid's in eighth grade. So are you just going to stay home every day? Are you going to change jobs? Are you going to have more free time? What are you going to do with all, You know, I mean, you have to think about all that stuff before you get there. Otherwise you get there and you go, geez, I thought the goal was to get here. You know, that wonderful book, Mastery, George Leonard, it's been around a really long time. You know, you have all these different periods of time in your life, but most of it's spent at plateau. Most of it's spent at the, in the status quo, and you got to be okay with the, uh, got to love the plateau, which is what that, uh, what that book's about. But it reminds me of a conversation I had with a person that came to a workshop that I did. And your story is very similar to mine, where he kind of has arms folded. He goes, I really enjoyed your uh, presentation there, but I, I think I'm set. And I go, great, good job. See ya. <laughs> like, I wasn't taking the bait. I'm not, I got other stuff. I'm ready to go home. I don't need to chit chat with you. And he went, he's like, well, you know, I mean, I can tell you a little bit about it if you want. Said, All right, fine, let's hear it. And he was Mr. Important because he had $5 million in muni bonds. He's like, they pay 6%, it's tax free. I only spend 200000 a year. I, that means I'm buying another $100,000 a year. So how can you beat that? And I go, that sounds pretty great. But you're being a fool because you're not thinking about it enough. You're not thinking about, obviously, all the easy stuff like inflation risk and interest rate risk and all that sort of stuff. You still have $5 million, so that's not going away. But what about the fact that if you actually thought about this the correct way, you could change you know, your kids' and grandkids' lives forever? Or you could build a children's hospital or something. I mean, like... This is what all of that's about now. You know, you've gotten to this point, which is fantastic. You got to take it to the next level. It is a whole, whole different world. And uh, big thanks to Jennifer for telling that story. Just, I was gripped by, by that book. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. 
Oh, it's 100% getting to the finish line of my money. Like if I can cross that goal line, I will figure out all the stuff later. I was later. When you said finish line with your money, I look at my wallet every day and I think I'm at the finish line because there's (laughs) no, no $10 bill in there. Like, Oh, this must be the finish line. This this is it. Got to go back to work. That's a different finish line. It's like a cliff more like where you're about to jump off of it. (laughs) It's your loved ones in your time that you value most. A Haven life says that's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. So you can spend more time with them. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. I talked to uh, Matt over at Haven Life last week, OG, and he was talking about in the, in the post-purchase surveys, how many surveys talk about Stacking Benjamins and, and how much people have uh, enjoyed the show, but then also gotten their life insurance done quickly. And if you've done that, you know how easy it is, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to Taylor. Say hi, Taylor. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Taylor, and I've got a question for you. So I know you are not the biggest fans of Robinhood, but I'm sure like a lot of your listeners, I started using them years and years ago, and I've just kind of kept on using them, even though I know I probably shouldn't. I know there are better brokerages out there. So can you help me to understand how I can move my money to another brokerage without paying any capital gains? Because I would happily ditch Robinhood for a better brokerage, but I don't want to pay those capital gains by pulling all of my money out of my existing stocks in Robinhood. I'll take an XL shirt. And ideally, if um, Gertrude can keep the shirt out of the basement, I'd rather avoid that basement smell if I can help it. Thanks. Bye. Oh, good news, Taylor. It doesn't go near the basement. Although with the recent Febrezing that we had last week with the uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, gentleman Tex-Mex here. It's, it's weird that he brought his own Febreze. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is always a good safety tip. If you come visit, bring some Febreze. It's, it's always good. Like some people bring bottles of wine when you go over to your friend's house or something. Nope. You have to bring, bring Here's a Febreze. Febreze. Here's a Glade plug-in. <laughs> we, we, we got a, a whole- scented candle. <laughs> We somebody on the wine fridge. We the plug in drawer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll put that with the rest of them there. And ooh, citrus. Taylor, good question. This is a question, OG, that people have all the time. And it seems really, really difficult to move your money from one place to another because heck, I got these appreciated stocks. I don't want to have to sell them all to move someplace else. It's gonna be messy. I don't I don't think it has to be, right? No, no, it definitely doesn't have to be messy. I mean a couple of different ways to do this. Number one is the way that you're talking about. So you can sell everything. You got cash, you withdraw the cash, you put it in your bank account, open a new account, transfer the cash in a new place, bada boom, bada bing. Now your account's funded, but a much easier and simpler way. Although there's some downsides to this as well, is just to do a transfer and it's done automatically through a clearing company. And their job is to literally like pick up the stuff that you've got in your Robinhood account and deposit it into the new place in the exact same shares and quantities. I'll give you a couple of asterisks to this. Number one, you can't transfer partial shares. So if you've got uh, you know 0.6 shares of Tesla, tough patooties, that's going to get sold. Or it'll just remain in the Robinhood account. You'll have to sell it. It should be free, although most companies do charge for it. Um, you know, 50 bucks or 80 bucks or 100 bucks or something like that. So that's pretty annoying, but um, it will cost something. 
And probably the biggest downside of this, if especially if you are an active trader, despite the fact that we've all talked about this, that you're not supposed to be, your money's kind of in limbo for a while. It's always going to get delivered in the right place. But the biggest downside of establishing a new brokerage company and transferring your shares is that for a period of time, two, three days, maybe a week, depending on the paperwork, uh, it's it's not going to be accessible. You're not going to be able to sell it. You're not going to be able to buy it. It's just going to be in the wind. So uh, you can imagine how frustrating that could have been you know, during the GameStop saga times a few weeks ago if you were trying to do it then. Talking to Michael Weiss on Friday from Yield Street about how they've tried to clean up that process because, you know, oh, gee, what a mess it is. And he was talking about when your account transferring money to them, they have gotten it down to six days which to somebody that doesn't know what's going on, six days sounds like forever. Six days, you and I know, is pretty damn remarkable. Yeah. I would say that there's some places that are faster too, but then there's other places that are a lot longer. The company that shall not be named, which is the uh, my least favorite company besides Robinhood in the universe, uh, they require wet signatures. You can't even do transfers like on the computer, you have to sign a form and then freaking mail it to mail it to mail it to their place. And get this, if it's over 250 K, then the transfer needs to be a medallion signature guarantee, which for those who know is like finding, you know, a needle in a haystack. This is not for transfer in either this for transfer out. Oh, transfer in (laughs) easy peasy lemon squeezy. We can just, this is them holding on to your cash. This is, this is that. Yeah. That's horrible. That kind of sucks. But anyways, Easy to do. You won't incur any taxes unless you have some partial shares. You just have to do an account transfer form. The receiving institution, by the way, so say you're moving your money to Schwab or Fidelity or TD Ameritrade, whatever, that company will have the paperwork necessary and or be able to help you do it online once you establish your account. Most of them these days are are, are pretty tech savvy in that regard where you can just say, my account's open. They say, how are you going to fund it? You go, I'm going to transfer my money from this place. They pull up the form, you fill it in and it's done. I've been thinking about it. I don't remember if we talked about it. We talk about though keeping track of your tax records because often those don't come along. Well, uh, yeah, you should keep track of it. They are required now for any positions, I think dated beyond 2011, that they are required to send the cost basis information. Now, whether or not they do or don't, that's a whole different matter or if it's correct. But um, I would still definitely, Taylor, uh, get all your cost basis info in place. So when you transfer it, you've got a record of that if it gets messed up. Thanks for calling in. You got a call for us? You got a question? Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And uh, OG and I are happy to help you make this, uh, what seems complicated there, uh, very much, much easier, Taylor. Make it easy. Good stuff. That's going to do it for today. Mom is bragging about another one of our listeners. Oh, gee, she's got this review from Dora CH53 on her on, on her refrigerator upstairs. A great listen. Five stars. Fantastic show to listen to if you don't care about learning anything. Joe and OG. And I think, by the way, I think Dora is from the great state of Louisiana because she spells Joe, G-E-A-U-X. So might be. From Louisiana, right down the road from me, Joe and OG are great at riffing on each other and elevate their positions by routinely bashing their, quote, friend, Doug. Joking aside, I got about one and a half hours of driving each day for work and three days a week. I gladly suffer through these jack wagons to make sure I'm on track for a mediocre retirement. That is that is so awesome. Thanks, Dora, for the kind words. If you've got if for the sort of kind words. 
that if you can leave people a review or turn somebody on to the show that you think needs these conversations today, conversations about what to do after you've you got enough um, with Jennifer Risher, or if somebody wants to know about the different options uh, that they have when it comes to tax software. I think Hannah was pretty, pretty thorough. OG. that's going to do it for today. Last but not least, if you think that you're doing well, but think that you could be doing better, or you're wondering about how to get to that next spot, you deserve it to have good people in your corner. OG and his team taking clients to interface with them and to get on their calendar, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG. That's stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG. All right, Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. Don't be married to the same tax software every year. It's easy to switch to most of the top players, and there could be a new, better option for you. Second, take a lesson from Jennifer Risher. It's much more important to live your life around your values, regardless of your money status. But the big lesson. So you, you, you remember that guy, Mike, uh, from the Quickie Gas and Go? Yeah, you know, it, it turns out he wanted the 30 bucks from me because, uh, yeah, I just filled up my tank there. And turns out the guy hadn't even heard of Stacking Benjamin. So, well, you might, you might think I should be embarrassed. Who's the real loser in this story? I mean, when you, when you think about it, when you really break it down and you do all the algorithms, it's still Mike. I mean, Mike's the guy who should be, I mean, come on, Mike, really, you, you should know about me and stacking Benjamins. I mean, that's on you, man. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Hannah Rounds for joining us. To learn more about the College Investors list of top tax software, either head to thecollegeinvestor.com or to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com where we'll share a link. Thanks also to Jennifer Risher for joining us. To learn more about Jennifer Risher's new memoir, We Need to Talk, head to weneedtotalk.com or we'll share a link on our show notes page. You can also find Joe's conversation with Jennifer soon on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash stacking Benjamins. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. And, uh, you know, um, my uh, sincere apologies to Mike at the quickie gas and go down in State Line Road. And I, I forgot to mention that not only did that make for a very awkward conversation, but I um, also forgot my wallet. So thanks for floating me 30 bucks, Mike. I'm, I'm, dude, I'm good for it. I, I swear, I'm good for it. I, I'm going to pay you on Tuesday. A Tuesday.
We have not done a movie review in a long time. If you're brand new to the after show, uh, OG and I talk movies, video games, things we find funny. Rarely do we talk finance anymore. So if you're here for financial discussions, we'll see you again on Wednesday. Cheryl and I last week watched a film on Netflix that stares, stares, that stares, uh, stars, Carrie Mulligan and Ralph Fiennes. This is called The Dig. Should we take a look at them then? Right. Things like this are usually done through museums. Yes, but with the war coming, they couldn't embark upon any new ventures. Well, I've been on digs since I was old enough to hold a trowel. My father taught me. What are they? We're standing in someone's graveyard, I reckon. Viking? Oh, maybe older. Mr. Brown is an archaeologist. Well, I'm an excavator. You've come to dig up the mounds. So you think there's something beneath? Who are those men? They're from the museum. Ye gods! Mrs. Pretty, I think you'd better come and see. And when she goes out to sea, that's when she, they find out what is beneath those mounds. And I think I'll let that go, OG, but it all starts off with Ralph Fiennes' character being hired by uh, Miss Mulligan's character. She is a wealthy woman whose husband passed away. And uh, this is just at the beginning of uh, World War II that this takes place. And on their estate, as you heard there, there are some really huge mounds and they're fairly certain that those are burial mounds, but what's beneath them? Ralph Fiennes, as you heard, he was introduced as an archaeologist. He corrects them and says he's an excavator. Turns out he doesn't have any formal training yet. As the film goes on, you find out that of course, formal training is not, is not the same as expertise. And he's an incredible expert at uh, what they're about to embark on. This is a movie with a lot going on and a story that often meanders. In fact, there were times when I I thought the story was incredibly slow, but what was really different about this and a lot of the slow movies that I hated is that these characters, OG, are so interesting. Ralph Fiennes does such a good job of playing this older man with no formal education, but who knows his crap. And by the way, he gets crapped on by the museum people when they get there, when they find out what's underneath it. And um, to tell you a little bit of the story at the end, when the things that they found are put on display later, Carrie Mulligan's character will only let them take them if they promise to make sure that they put him that they list him as the person who figured out what they were and who cataloged them and knew exactly what it was. And they didn't do it. And it has only been in the last several years that he's actually been uncovered, obviously well, well after his death uh, as the guy that did a lot of, a lot of the work here, but uh, the story on a scale of one to 10, about a five, maybe a six, feel-good, meandering story, not much to it, but the characters are absolutely fantastic in their interactions. I just wanted to hang out for two hours with these people. So uh, The Dig. And and you know what? I think it's a pretty good family movie. Um, I, I don't know that it'll hold somebody who's eight years old's attention, but I think if you've got somebody who's 11 or 12 years old, there's some... Uh, there's some stories a little bit about uh, death. There's a little bit about war. So depending on 
on how much you want to talk about those issues in your family and when it's appropriate for you and your kids. Besides that, I think, uh, I think it's a really good movie. I don't even know what it's rated by the way. It's rated by Joe. Yeah. It's all that matters. Chuh. But you'll find it on Netflix, The Dig. The Dig. Sounds good to me. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.